Hello and welcome to View from the Sideline podcast. This is episode nine. I'm Chris. Um, bonjour, Rich. Bonjour, Chris. Uh, so if you haven't guessed, uh, Rich is not in the country at the moment, are you, Rich? No, um, I'm in France again. So I think so it was episode two, I think you were in France last time. I was just trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, so um, two and eight. So, uh, there's Rich, any meaning to it. Just... <laughs> Rich, you're going to just tell us what is going on this week on the podcast. Yes, so uh, this this week's episode is a bit of a special because there was no Premier League games at the weekend, but there was some EFL action, so we'll be talking about that. So, uh, also this week, it's my turn to give the teaser to Chris. Um, so after last week's success, the first one in in uh, eight episodes, uh, we'll see how Chris gets on today. Then we've got a question which has been sent in from one of our listeners. Uh, so we're going to go through that quickly. Uh, as mentioned, summary of the lower leagues. Then we'll go into the first of our two special topics for this episode, which is myself and Chris talking about our journey through football, sort of most memorable events. Uh, then in part two, we'll come back for our second special topic, which is around the pressure that's on managers in today's game. So that should be quite interesting. Uh, and then we'll finish off by just covering the predictions because they're back this week for the coming weekend's games. And then uh, we'll let you know what's coming up next week and ways to get in touch and give us your views. Okay, Rich. Uh, so so I'll get straight into the... I think I'll give you the teaser first, Chris. You're going to do the teaser first. Well, yeah. no pressure really this week, is there? Because I think no. I gave you quite an easy one last week. So I'm hoping well, that you've uh, reciprocated. Well, well, I was going to, but oh. I've, I've, I've added a last-minute dimension to it, which makes it a bit trickier. Because oh. I was worried it was a bit easier, oh. a, bit, a bit too easy for you. All right, go on then. So I would like you to tell me the current... Two Premier League grounds that have the smallest capacity. So the original question was going to be the Premier League ground with the smallest capacity. Right, but you. But the additional dimension is to give me this the second lowest capacity. Uh... Okay, I think I've got an idea of one, um, but. I, I think yeah. that's why I had the second one in. So that, yeah, so I think I already so got the first one. Okay, all right, okay. Well, um, do you want to go on with the... Li- I'll have a think, and uh, what's this uh, listener question that you have? Yeah, so, so it, it, was, it was something that um, someone who listens to the podcast uh, who, who had a question, and they just wanted to get our views on it. And I thought it was quite an interesting question. Yeah. So I thought I'd bring it on to, de- on to today's episode. So it's from Alan, who's one of our listeners, who wants to know our views on... Uh, games played behind closed doors. So with England's game on Friday night against Croatia, uh, with no spectators allowed yeah. in. I'm not sure if you watched it, but uh, yeah, I didn't. Was... I've seen highlights, um, and I must I must admit it was quite a bit. Of, it's like almost like an eerie atmosphere, isn't it? You can hit literally everything on the pitch. Um, but I it think must, it's quite. It's, it's quite just rare. strange. I mean, maybe, yeah, it's rare and. In other European countries, it might 
be a bit more regular. It's probably norm for some of the some of the like uh, Eastern European rival games. I I would have thought that it's probably a bit more Mm. common, but but, but um, what what effect do you think it has on the players? I I think it must for them. Like you said, it's very rare, so I I don't think you can actually prepare too much for it. Um, That's a good question. it is a good question. I think I, I find the whole the whole situation quite strange. Because you could hear you the can, ball, you could hear the yeah. ball being passed around, which is quite weird. Because you only you know you normally only get that if you're actually at the game. So I suppose in a way it was almost like you were kind of like having a one man show. Really, you were there sat on your own in the ground watching the it's game the, on your own. It's almost tea for fans, but I would imagine it's very different for players. But as far as I'm aware, there were fans outside the ground singing, weren't there? From what I hear, there was yeah, still England was, fans travelled. In, in still... the stadium, it was just, just press, I think. Just press and officials. For a commentator. Even, even for commentary, yeah, commentary was odd as well. View, yeah, because... You would almost feed off the crowd most of the time. Yeah, so I suppose it's hard to hype up a game without that. And sometimes, you know, in football they got that cliche of like the um, the crowd is like the twelfth man. Sometimes, I suppose you don't really. If say if you were to go like a goal down, do you think it would be harder for the team to get back in it without the support behind them? I suppose there's a lot that you could yeah, like mentality wise. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought that. I'd imagine so, but they're just not used to it, are they? So it must be like a training game, like during the week. Yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just thought that was quite a good question. So uh, thanks, Alan. That's yeah, our, that's our that. views on it. Maybe has Alan got any views on it, Alan? If you want to let us know what you thought of it. And, uh... Well, I'll ask him. I'll ask him. We'll get his views for next week. All right, cool. All right, Rich. Um, you have got the championship and League One as usual. Um, so just let us know what's happened at the weekend. Yeah, it's just League One because there was no. Oh yeah, no championship games. Yeah. games. yeah, so just League One. Um, for anyone who's in, who's interested in stats, the games at uh, in League One over the weekend were were a treasure of stats. So uh, all of the top nine teams. Uh, in the league one at the weekend, and eight of the bottom nine lost. Oh, that makes, so, uh, <laughs> that makes so, it easy for your review. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, that was the uh, league one review. <laughs> in, in summary of that, the table hasn't changed an awful lot since last week. No. So Portsmouth are still top. Uh, they got a 2 1 win away at Wimbledon, and they're three points clear of second place Peterborough, who won 2 0 away at Scumthorpe. Barnsley in third. Uh, they beat Luton 3-2 at home, but they do have a game in hand over Portsmouth and Peterborough. I think if they win that, they can go second. Uh, Doncaster in fourth after a 3-2 away win at Rochdale. Fifth place, Sunderland. I didn't do this, Chris, but they had their game against Blackport the weekend abandoned. But do you know why it was abandoned? I saw that it was abandoned. Um, and I actually did try and find out, but I couldn't actually... The, um... The website I was looking on didn't actually say why it was abandoned. Well, I did find out, and it was abandoned due to international call-ups. Because three of Sunderland's players were called up for the international break for games over the weekend. And they uh, they applied to the Football League to have it postponed. 
owned and it was granted. So that's not probably not something you hear of that often in league. Well, well, you say you say that. I've got I've I've got a surprise for you in League Two. Then (laughs) carry on. Oh, is it is it Yeovil related? Carry on. Uh, so yeah, on that game, uh, so Blackpool, uh, they're fourteenth at the moment, um, and uh, something I found quite interesting: Black, they're sitting in fourteenth, but they've only lost one game this season. They must and have drawn in, yeah, a lot of games. Drawn seven of the eleven games that they've played so far. Uh. So giving them three wins, but yeah, only one defeat so far. Um, Moving on, Accrington make up the final playoff place in sixth. They got a 3 1 home win against Bradford. Now, on to the bottom four. So, Bristol Rovers uh, are the first team in the relegation zone. Are they, are they from safety? Are they, are they, they're not bottom, bottom then? No, they, they take uh, up the first, the first relegation that's a, place. That's a shame, but never mind. <laughs> uh, they lost 1 0 away to Burton. Uh, Bradford are one place below them. They lost 3-1 to Accrington. Oxford are now off the bottom after a 2-0 home win against Plymouth. And Plymouth, now Plymouth are bottom, aren't they? Bottom. Yeah, they are. And they're four points from safety and now two adrift from Oxford. I'm not only and my sure. last, yeah, my on, last so. fact on League One is there was no draws. Hmm. No draws in the weekend games. Have Plymouth won a game yet? I don't think they have, have they? I'm not sure. I don't think they have, no. They're definitely yeah. single-digit points. So, they're yeah, in that's trouble. A, that's League One. So, full of stats. Full of okay. facts this week. <laughs> so, uh, League Two. Uh, Lincoln remained top uh, after their huge win against away to Port Vale. They won that by six goals to two. Um Six different goal scorers for Lincoln, although one of them was an own goal. Um, yeah, six different goal scorers, which sometimes, which you uh, don't often see. Uh, they are ahead now by four points. Exeter in second beat Swindon by two goals to nil, and third place Newport also recorded a win at home. Stevenage. Now Newport won this game in the 98th minute. <laughs> Some and they scored the first goal they scored was in the first minute so they scored in the first minute and the 98th minute so well that's the way to do it I guess yeah if you're going to win eight minutes of stuff you'd be gutted if you were Stevenage you'd be gutted with that yeah you wouldn't be um, okay MK Dons uh, 1-0 away to Cambridge sees them remain in the playoffs Tranmere fifth they beat bottom side Macclesfield on Friday night by a goal to nil and Colchester have moved into the playoffs after they beat Crawley 3-1. And Stevenage have moved down at 7th after they lost. Uh, so at the bottom, uh, as I said earlier, Macclesfield uh, lost, so they remain rooted to the bottom now. They're actually five points from safety. And Cambridge remains second from bottom after their home defeat by MK Dons. A lot in League Two last weekend. A lot of the top teams played the bottom teams, which sounds like what happened in League One as well, which is odd. I think six. I think three of the top six played three of the bottom five. So. Yeah, I think from yeah. last week's review, yeah, I think that was the case. 
there's, such a, there's a gap. There's, there's, yeah, there's yeah, a gap, yeah. There's a gap developing in these two leagues but, between the top. Uh, so you mentioned that the Sunderland game was called off. Yeah. Um, international, but also, Rich, the Oval are you, game was. Are you going to? Are you going to outfact? I am going to outfact you right now. <laughs> okay. So the Oval game was called off against Cheltenham, and this is also due to international call-ups. And this is the second time it's happened this season already. Well, we've only had two international breaks, so kind of makes sense. But Yeovil actually had four players that were off on international duty. Uh, who, are, who are they? There's so two I've, questions. I, we'll, have, we'll have to find out what the rule is on that and how many players. Yeah. Well, um, um, so I've got the, if you've got two or three players missing, whether that yes. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have thought two or three, really. Players. I don't know how well, they Sunderland, worked out. But. Sunderland's was free. Three so, players they uh, requested a postponement. Yeovil, um, they had Sean Donnellan. Um, he played for the Republic of Ireland under-21s. That's the first one. Reese Brown was playing for Antigua and Barbuda. Sessi <laughs> uh, de Almeida played for Benin. And Ennis Mahumutovic was playing for Luxembourg in the um, Nations League. So, yeah. Well, I never Christmas. First of all, great, great pronunciation. Yeah, I was a bit worried about. I'm uh, not going to lie. I the <laughs> the Matt guy. I'm glad I don't get League Two. I split. <laughs> I split his name up so it's easier to say. Uh, uh, but um, sure, Ceci sure, Almeida actually scored for Benin as well. Uh, I'm he's sure probably you've made two of those countries up. No, Antigua and Barbuda is is a country. Uh, Benin and Luxembourg, both countries as well. But yeah, so I. Sorry, Rich, I did outfact you um, yeah. on that just, one. So, just quickly, just, just on. on the Nations League while you mentioned it there, did you see the Gibraltar result at the weekend? So uh, I actually read about this earlier. So they've won two in a row now after not winning at all for 20 games, that, in it? They've won I twice. I think that's their first competitive points. Yeah. So I didn't realise... I didn't realise this, but if you... If you finish top, you get a place in Euro 2020. I didn't realise that. What, top of the group? Yeah, if you finish top of your group, you get a place in Euro 2020. Because it says... Uh, it says on with Gibraltar not, not finishing well, top. Well, they're three points behind Macedonia now, so... Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? For them. It's, it was also the first time they've actually scored two goals in a game, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they'll be playing for Yeovil next. Sign them up, mate. Sign them up. Yeah, sign them up. Yeah. Okay, so that was uh, the roundup of the only two leagues uh, this, this time. Uh, round league one, league two, but Premier League Championship both return next weekend, so we'll be reviewing them again. Okay, so um, I think we're ready for our first topic. Um, so the first topic is. Uh, a bit about sort of our journeys into into football. Um, so this is going to be probably a bit about ourselves, how we got how we got the teams that we support, involvement in football, games we've seen. So um, I'll kick off if you don't mind. Of course, Rich, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, I, that was a pun, Rich. Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I purposely ignored it. Don't ignore them. Okay, so. Um, so yeah, basically, um, well, 
I've I've kind of liked well liked ever since I really remember. Um, there's not really a time that I can actually think that I've not liked football. Um, but um, as you're probably aware, the team that I support is Chelsea. I also support my local team Yeovil as well. Um, so the Chelsea. Um, so, sorry. And we no, we'll get we'll get we'll get to that before this. you start reeling off other European. Team. There's one. There's one in at least each country that right. you support. I will. I will talk about that in a bit. <laughs> um, so, uh, so it was my dad. He was a Chelsea fan. So, it kind of, was put upon me to be a Chelsea fan. Um, now, Rich did post a photo of me as a baby on Facebook, and there's one on Twitter and Instagram of me in a Chelsea scarf and a badge that says "Save the Bridge," uh, which he. So he basically. Why are they trying to save the bridge? So this is when they were in talks to be taken over. Um, it's when Ken Bates uh, bought the club. Um, so it's before that. So he basically Ken Bates bought the club, and before that they had a campaign to save the bridge because they I think they had a bit of money problems. But is that when he bought it for a, like a quid? He bought it for a quid, basically. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, my dad actually sent that to a paper, and it actually got printed in a paper. So I'm actually in a paper uh, in the 80s uh, as a baby with a scarf around me and a badge. Um, but yeah, um, but Rich, we'll, do you want to we'll just talk about your um, experience? Uh, obviously, who you support. Obviously, they're fully aware of who you support. Yeah. So. When when I was thinking about this, I kind of tried to go back to what what, what I would consider my first sort of memory of football, and I'm not talking about sort of playing in the park and kicking a ball around and things like that. But I I, I was probably the same as a lot of people. I I played football at a youth level. I played on a Sunday Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, depending on what leagues you were in. But I, I just wanted to start with talking about the my first ever live game. Which is which is something that I quite vividly remember, and I was on a um, I was on a, a tour so that the team I used to play for on the Isle of Wight, uh, Shanklin, which was my hometown team, uh, every year we used to do uh, like an exchange, you know, like when you have students stay at your house, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But we used to do that with um, Sutton, so Sutton United. We used to do it with their with their youth teams, so. We would go and stay at their house and like have and play each other and what the whole squad in one house? Oh no no no! We'd be we'd be sort of (laughs) we'd be sort of paired up and then we would go and stay with with the um like one of their players' family and then the year after they would they would come down and do it for us. I bet they love coming the Isle of Wight. Oh yeah, of course. Who wouldn't? But actually, Sutton was quite enjoyable to be honest. They were always quite um competitive games I think I think we if I remember rightly we used to uh, we used to win the majority of them but dur- during one of these uh, these said tours we went to uh, Vicarage Road and we watched it was in March of 1988 so I've managed to dig the details out it was, Wat- <laughs> it was Watford against Southampton um, and Southampton won 1-0 and we had I I think we had seats sort of like two or three rows from the front. But when it was sort of like the first live action you'd ever seen, and bearing in mind that the, the difference in age between us, Chris, this was this was the time when you used to check teletext for uh, 
I am aware what telly text is. For, for results, and it was it was never on telly. It was pretty much the FA Cup final, and I'm not even sure if match of the day was on. It must have been on a Saturday. But yeah, that was my first sort of experience of live football, and it just seemed extremely strange at the time. Um, and even more strange going home seeing the highlights on telly for a. Um, did you uh, did you try to find yourself? <laughs> you trying to look for yourself on telly? You, you couldn't pause telly in those days. Oh, right. You'd right. have to um, you'd have to press record on the VCR and then do the old fast forward and rewind, which would take you too long. But no, I didn't. I don't remember yeah. seeing myself on my, telly. My first live game. Um, so like you, I had to dig it out. I've got very very vivid memories of it, but it was. <laughs> It was a Yeovil game, was my first ever live game that I saw, obviously, because I live quite close to the ground. Um, and this was in the 96-97 season, so I would have been 9, 10 years old. And it was an Itchman's Premier League match. <laughs> and it was Yeovil. How old did, when was it, sorry? 96-97. I was loving then, Chris, and you were going to your first match. Yeah, so it was Yeovil versus Perfleet Town. Um, Yeovil won it 4-3, so I got I got to see a lot of goals in my first game. Um, but I just remember being there, and the atmosphere. Uh, it was it's almost like something that you've never really experienced before. But this this what would have been. What would the um... What would the crowd have been? It would have been quite low because this is before, this is pre when they got to the conference. It was the year after that they got promoted to the conference. So it was the league. So it would have been now, it would be Conference South, I would have thought, the league that they were in. Then they had a big rise. The Watford Saints game that I looked at, I think the attendance was just under 10. Was it? Or something like that, yeah. Which I guess at the time was probably quite a lot. And then, oh, well, I think I think my dad took me to that game just to test if I'd actually sit there and and watch it. Um, wasn't allowed to stand because I'm not sure if you're aware, but at Hewish Park where you able to play the uh, two ends behind the goal, home and away, are actually standing. Um, but still, yeah, still standing, yeah, still yeah. standing. Great, yeah, it's a great atmosphere. I've got some really good memories of being in that, but I'll come on to that a bit later. Um, my first Chelsea game that I saw, I think it was it was a couple of years after. Uh, it was an FA Cup quarter final game against Gillingham at Stamford Bridge. It was the first time I'd been to, also been to the Oval Ground a few times. But then it was, you know, going from like a a, a nine thousand seat nine thousand capacity stadium to a, a probably at the time about thirty five thousand. You know, it's quite big. But they won. Chelsea won that game five 0 um, John Terry played in that game, um, and the goals so sco- John Terry. the goals that day were scored by Tor Andre Flo, John Terry, George Weyer, Gianfranco Zola, and Jody Morris. So some uh, some legends of the game there. But like I said, it was just, the atmosphere was just something that I'd never experienced. I think I think once you go to your first game, you kind of even get more of a buzz of watching and, uh, and being part of football. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think that's my so to kind of mirror that. My first Spurs game was uh, September '89, so uh, it was just just after my ninth birthday. But the 
the issue we always always had was living on the Isle of Wight. It was always that bit more difficult to get anywhere because you had to just, get off just the a quick no. Do they have an actual like league on the Isle of Wight for adults? Of course they do. They do. So is it like the Isle of Wight league or is it? Or do they play teams? Yeah, is that, that's a serious question. It's a serious question. I honestly don't know. Or are they okay. part of the English leagues? I don't, I don't. I honestly don't know. No, yeah, they've got their own. Uh, they've got their own leagues. My my brother still plays. Uh, he, he actually he's gone back to Shanklin, so he plays in record, Golf record first fee. Team. <laughs> yeah, he's also the groundsman, uh, the social media manager, and uh, and he holds other roles. So he sits on the ride on mower and cuts the grass. Does he want a job? He's got, got a job. He's got a he's, job. He's, head, he's heads groundsman. He's so, got a lot of jobs. Yeah, he's all right. But yeah, so speaking of my brother, so he, so it's myself, my brother, and my dad that that went up to this, and it was Spurs against QPR, and it finished three-two, and the the overriding memory, I've got two overriding memories of that game. The first one was was seeing Gazza play because he was at Spurs. Oh yeah, you would have seen him play. I bet that was he, good. He, even at that age, so I was—I'd only just turned nine. It was just—it was like watching something completely different to anything else that was on the pitch. It was almost as if he had the ball on a bit of a string tied to his boot, and he was just—he he was so good. And I think it's—it's it's almost like you—you you had to see him live to realise how good he was, because I know. The sort of the troubles that he's having now and yeah. with injuries and and how his career sort of almost sort of petered out. He was that good. He was he was one of the best players that this country's ever produced, without a shadow of a doubt. It was it was almost it was an honour to watch him play. He was that good. But the other thing that I remember about that game is we left before the end. And I remember stood on the overground station opposite White Hart Lane and there was this almighty roar because it was 2-2 when we left. Yeah. And in like the dying seconds, Gary Lineker got the winner. And you could just... you. I, I think the station's probably... I know it's not that far away from where it's probably like a two-minute yeah. walk from, from the ground, but the, the noise was just deafening. And uh, yeah, they won three two. So I was a bit gutted we uh, missed the last goal. But yeah, a, a great experience. A great experience. You get, especially coming from the Isle of Wight, you get all the travel with with the tube and the, the travel. The ferry. And that just well, yeah, the ferry is certainly not the most exciting part. But um, it, it's just it's it's more of a full day out, I think. because yeah. you're, you're travelling from. I think so far away, but I guess in, it's the same for anyone travelling that distance. Yeah, yeah. It sort of makes the day, but yeah, what what a game and uh, just a bit guided. We missed the uh, last missed the last goal, but that that was my first experience of a live Spurs game. So um, with obviously you said Gaza was was something like you've never seen before. Um, a few players I've seen live. I think that. Um, yeah, I think, like you said, you, you've got to be there to believe that they are actually that good. So one of the players was Zola, Gianfranco Zola. Um, Quality player. What a player he was. Um, he's, he's, what he could do with the ball. And, you know, he, he wasn't the biggest of, of players, but he could he could hold his own. He could Some of the tricks he could pull out, it was just unbelievable. Um, and, and 
nothing really at that time that the Premier League sort of had and um, also uh, Drogba just just just, just yeah. remind me Chris with Zola yeah. was he was he already sort of um, world class if you like when he came to Chelsea yeah he was yeah because he, he was he came from Palmer I believe um, I think he he had already made a name for himself in Italy um, but yeah I think I think he showcased some very good skill. Whilst it reminds he was me a bit of Hazard. I remember, I remember, I didn't see this live, but I remember seeing it on TV. Chelsea played Norwich, and they a corner came in, and he, he sort of like back killed it. He jumped and back killed it, and it went in the back of the net. And it was kind of like, would any other player at that time think to do that? It was just, yeah, you know, probably. I think everybody remembers that goal. Yeah, I yeah. Um, other players as well that I've seen live, uh, Drogba. Um, I think he's probably, uh, although, although Zola, uh, I love watching them. I think Drogba's probably my favourite ever player for Chelsea. Um, I just think he, he was a, he was a great such, player. He, he was the sort of player that I think every other club wished they had. Because when obviously we bought him from from France, we bought him from Marseille. He wasn't he'd had a good season, and I think he'd been he'd been noticed because he had a good season in, in the UEFA Cup what it was then and Chelsea bought him and he was so strong he was so strong it was just um he was so good to watch and every time the ball went into him you you always thought that he could do something where they could he could he could get a corner he could score a goal uh, and he was just so strong as well um I, I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that that's well in, in my view anyway I almost think that's the sort of player that Chelsea missed today oh yeah he basically someone, when someone like a Drogba or a Costa Costa yeah exactly I've seen a video earlier of cost, all Costa's goals at Chelsea and I actually sat there and I actually felt a bit sad for about five minutes that we'd actually lost that you know, it, well, you, know you, should for, watched, you should have watched Morata's that would have lasted about 15 seconds to watch all his goals great saved with that time yeah, Chris thanks for that mate but uh, right, I'm moving on. Lampard as well, um, quality player. Just watching him ping the ball around, you know, left, right, and centre. It was just um, some of the passes that he made were unbelievable. Uh, I've also I've seen Fernando Torres score a hat trick live as well. No, I, For Chelsea. I, yeah, I can I can tell you forty other thousand people that have been there as well. But who was that against? QPR. I think they won 6-0 I think it was 6-0 but he scored at trick I've, I've been to see a few Chelsea the, games in where the they... league league or FA Cup yeah league, it was in the league it was when QPR in the league um, I've seen Lampard score four goals against Derby that was pretty special I've seen Chelsea beat eight, beat Aston Villa 8-0 as well I've had, I've had some good experiences going up to there and, goals Chris until must be their lucky charm. Well, yeah, I thought that until two seasons ago. I actually seen them loss. I seen them lose for the first time against Bournemouth one 0 I tell you what, Maybe I, not so lucky. that's yeah. I, I've never experienced the team. Well, I've experienced the overall lose a few times, but obviously when you travel to see someone like Chelsea, you, you know, you, you take the train, it takes like three hours to get there, and then. You got to go home. <laughs> the ride home is very, very different to the ride going up. But it comes with the experience. Yeah, it comes with the experience. If your team loses at the weekend, it almost ruins your weekend. Yeah. But if you actually go and watch them play, and they lose, I think it's even worse. Yeah, but 
Um, other th- like obviously watching, we all watch football on TV. Some people watch it more than others. Probably I'm one of those people. And you know, when when I when I was going through um, a lot of the, you know, like you keep old programs and stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The, 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 well, another one for me, which I, I was surprised about actually when I when I when I read about it. So, uh, when in the late nine in the late eighties, sorry, I went to um, I went to Wembley for a, what I didn't realise at the time, um, and I completely forgot about it. I think until I saw the program was uh, a World Cup qualifier, England Poland. England won three oh. nil, um, and I, I, I remember Lineker scoring in that goal. He took it round the keeper and then he, he put yeah, it into yeah, yeah. a tightish angle. But when I was looking through the um, the players who played in that, so Shilton, Stuart Pearce, Brian Robson, Chris Waddle, John Barnes, and like I say, Lineker, yeah, there, there were some some really really good players there. But what I also didn't realise until I until I went back to it was that was a qualifier for Italian ninety, oh. where England got to the semi final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't. It wasn't until I I started looking at the details of the match that I realised that that was pretty much the team that played in that World Cup so you actually seen the, the team last four. Well, that's really good yeah it, yeah, it was quite weird it's quite weird to look at it that way but yeah. just talking about players I did I did see Ronaldo I saw Ronaldo when he was at United I um, I went up to Old Trafford they played Fulham and won 1-0 and uh, he, he scored the goal he scored the only goal um, if I remember rightly, it was sort of a, a half volley from just outside the box. Really good goal, but I, he doesn't. It doesn't stick in my mind that he was amazing on that day. Obviously, I don't think he was kind of at his peak then, uh, compared to like where he has been over the last couple of years. But yeah, I'd, I'd probably say he's he's the most sort of famous now player I think that I've seen like but I mean Skulls played in that game I think Rooney did as well uh, Alan Smith played if I remember right <laughs> who's, who's been in the news a lot lately yeah but that was a good game for, for a 1-0 that was a good game but uh, experiencing a game at Old Trafford is uh, is something quite special really obviously not being a United fan um but yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good to experience yeah. that. But on, on the flip side, so another thing that, that crossed my mind was I've been in the um, away end at both Portsmouth and Southampton watching Spurs play, uh, where you obviously had to keep very quiet being a being a sort of away team fan in the home end. Spurs lost 4-0 oh. when, I went, when I went to watch them at St. Mary's against Saints. A friend of mine who I used to work with uh, his dad had some tickets and we went and I remember walking home very um Sheep. very upset. <laughs> that was uh, I think Teddy Teddy Sheringham was it was I think it was the third round of the FA Cup, yeah, they got totally battered. Oh dear. I've I've seen Chelsea four nil. Yeah, I've seen Chelsea play at St Mary's. I've seen Yeovil play at St Mary's as well, actually. It's not a bad stadium. It's yeah, so it's pretty new, isn't it? The, Ports, the one thing that stuck out for me at the Portsmouth one, um and I think we've spoken about this, but the reason I'm going to mention it is because he's doing a new podcast at the moment, Peter Crouch. Yeah, yeah. He was he was playing for Spurs when, when I went down to Fratton Park and Spurs won 2-1. I was so surprised at how good Peter Crouch was. 
He's a very good player. I, I think there's this um, sort of perception because of his height that, that all he gives you is you, you sort of hit the diagonal balls or you get the crosses into the box and he's just going to head them in. Yeah, he's, he's still playing now, such, isn't he? Yeah, he's for Stoke. He's got such a good touch for someone of his size. He's remember actually that? a really, really skillful footballer. I was really surprised by it. Can you remember the goal he scored against Man City when he was outside the box? He like flicked it and then like hit it on the volley. Yeah. Like, right the, the one goal there. I remember he scored against Man City was for Spurs that got us in the Champions League. Um, if you remember when we beat him one 0 at the Etihad? He um. When Redknapp was. He's got one of the best goals to games ratios for England as well. Right now, I think. He has. Yeah. He has, yeah. So like one in every other game, I think it was. It works out. Very good. Um, he has got a really good, really good record. But he, someone that really, probably the most surprising player I've seen live was Peter Crouch. So, football on TV. Um, do you watch a lot of football, Rich? On TV? Uh, I'd say so. I watch an average amount, I'd say. So, I, um, I read more about it than watch it. I would say in the last sort of four years, um, I've become an avid watcher of A-League football, which uh, Rich is fully aware of. Um, Speed speed this bit up, Chris. So, yeah, so I think it was like about four or five years ago. I literally, I I got up early because the games were on obviously seven in the morning. And I just turned on BT Sport and it was on. And... Yeah, I, I knew the A-League was there, but I'd never watched it. And I got quite into it, actually. Um, so much so that I've actually adopted a team in Australia. Um, I'm Which is? Perth Glory. Um, so, yeah. Are they any good? Are they top, top mid-table? Didn't, no, no. Didn't have a very good season last season. Finished about three off the bottom, I think it was, in the end. Um, you, but they uh, they have tell got us any players, Chris, that yeah I can because uh, can you remember a Premier League player called Andy Keogh? Yes. Yeah, he he's playing for him. Play I think he played for Wolves. He's been there for three or four yes. seasons now. Um, but the thing is with Perth, they've got a lot of Australian players that now you can, I think it's five players you can have in the starting team that are what you would class as non-Australian players, I assume. Um, but I don't think Perth have got that sort of money. Um, but if anyone is interested, the A-League actually starts again this weekend. So it is back on. The new season starts next weekend. Um, Melbourne, uh, Melbourne City won last year's league, but that is the team that is owned by... Um, Man City. Shake, is it Shake Mansour? Shake Mansour, yeah. yeah. He owns. So what you, a few players from the City Academy play for them and um, can you remember oh, what's that's his name that's a hell of a loan spell isn't it McCorm- McCormack what's his name that played for Villa Ross McCormack Ross McCormack he was playing in the A-League last season as well he was on loan with them yeah they've had a few good uh, players out there I but... remember Del Piero being in it am I right in saying so, that De- so that was there? when it kind of got a bit more attention so Del Piero went there and Emil remember Emil Husky went there he, he plays for Newcastle Jets, yeah. So they they both signed for an A-League team on the same day and they both got unveiled at the same time 
And uh, there was a you Brazilian got, guy you as got well. A bit gutted if you're Heskey. He it's didn't all do press. All the press is going to be on Delphi. Yeah, they did. They did it like you know, like when teams do this like grand reveal. They did like a grand reveal, but of these three new players that joined. One of them was a Brazilian player. I can't remember his name now, but um, they all joined different A League teams. But they got unveiled at the same ground because it was quite big for for them. Obviously, them getting Del Piero to play over there and Heskey. <laughs> The question is, was it as good a player reveal as Santi Cazorla's at Villarreal? Is, it, is this the one where he player, like he magic into out of sort of like yeah. a, a magic smoked tube? I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not a big fan of these reveals. I, what happened to the good old days where you were sat there on the table with the manager shaking his hand with a shirt in your hand? But that, mm-hmm. that, that's a that's a classic Spurs thing, though. That's what Spurs do. Can you remember shake, when Spurs unveiled a player? And Pochettino wasn't there. They had a cardboard cut out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's different around the world, isn't it? I think in, in England, I know we're going slightly off topic, um, but uh, in, in England, it's almost you hold the shirt up, don't you? In Spain, yeah. you, you go onto the pitch and do keepy-uppies. You do, like, five, <coughs> um, you do five keepy-uppies, don't you? And if you yeah. fail, you get <coughs> blasted in the Spanish media that you can't do but, five keepy Tens of thousands of people turn out. It's crazy, isn't it? Reveals, yeah. Different though, isn't yeah, it? It's a different it, culture. It, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's become a bit of a circus at times. Um, <clears throat> so, just obviously wrapping this up a little bit. Um, I just wanted to say three of my probably fondest memories of football. Um, so one would be seeing a sellout crowd at Hewish Park um, and Yeovil beat Sheffield United 2-0 to get into the playoff final, uh, League One playoff final. Um, going to Wembley, that was a pretty big deal, I think, for Yeovil as well. So that was good. They won that game as well. They beat Brentford 2-1. That was your, um, that was your computer desktop screen yeah can you remember that one for a long time I do yeah yeah Yeah. if you if you scan in close enough you can see me as well on that one Um, going to Stanford Bridge as well I think any supporter of a team to get to go to the ground of the team you support I think is always quite a big deal and I've you know been lucky enough to go a few times and then I think the last memory was watching Chelsea win the Champions League final um, in my local pub, which I think I sent you a picture. Did I send you a picture? Yeah, Very... you, can't, you can't even make it. It's you, to <laughs> be honest. Chris is so blurry. I was very, yeah, I was, I was, let's say, not in the best of shape <laughs> after that game. I, I don't... I d- I can only dream of matching your last memory there, Chris. Yeah, uh, but having, having Spurs win. It was just nice because I had like mates there as well that weren't Chelsea fans. They were United Liverpool, and they were all cheering for Chelsea. It was it, like the whole pub was cheering. So it was just I would agree nice. with that though. I think yeah. I, I, I would very much be if it was. Even if it wasn't, if it wasn't Spurs, for example, and it was another English team. Yeah. Know? In the final, I think I would. Um, oh, actually, let me take that back because wasn't wasn't that the year that Spurs didn't get? Although they finished fourth, they didn't get Champions League, and Chelsea won it. Yeah, that was because Chelsea yeah, won it. Yeah, no. 
not a fan of Chelsea. Just, just, no, I'm going to completely retract my statement. I didn't want Chelsea to win that game at all. <laughs> I didn't think a lot of people thought Chelsea. And to be honest with you, when Muller scored... It was by the Munich, eight. wasn't it? I think like, yeah. they were heavy favourites. And it was at Munich. Like, it was in Munich as well. Yeah. So when Drogba got... So Drogba right. scored so ahead. I remember right? when Drogba yeah. when scored that head. I, li- I think I was on my knees, I think, at one point. But yeah, it was it was a night to remember. Not that I remember a lot of it, but I think I'd started drinking quite early on in the day. But I think that's what it's all about. Like, those big occasions, I think, you know, getting... Being around other people, I think yeah, it kind of makes I think, I think the World makes Cup even showed that sort of in yeah. a few months. I back. love the World Cup. I, 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 you know, I know a lot of people before the World Cup were like, oh, they just get knocked out. You know, I just think I think that's the English way. I think but, you, you always you always go out with sort of pessimism. I think they over overachieved. If you get out of the group, anything's like a bonus. Yeah, but I think this time, I think. The World Cup was different at the end. I think even though he we went out semi-finals, I still think oh, absolutely. a they lot of people were happy. Just, yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, was, it's, it's, it's a shame, but I think they did well. I think they did well. Who knows? Maybe in four years' time, they'll. I think they've got. Know. I think they've got a young squad at the moment that I think they can achieve. And I, I, I'll be totally honest. I think Southgate is probably the right person as well at the moment to to manage the side. I think, I think he's had yeah, experience with the younger players. The result of the weekend. I think if you look at the players coming through, if you if you think what the team could be in four years' time, I don't see why yeah. they can't go a step further. Yeah. But yeah. Well. Okay. So we'll wrap that up, Chris, yeah. because I think we've we've gone into extra time on that one. So, uh, Oh, yeah. hang on. No, you're not out of fun in me. No, like that, that no one's going to hear that because that will be edited out. So, no, that's a good one. So, so, uh, um, so that, that's the end of uh, part one. Uh, we will be back in part two for our, our second topic this week, which is around the, uh, the pressures on managers uh, in today's game. Uh, and also we'll just cover the predictions quickly and then, as we said, what's coming up next week. So we'll see you in part two. Welcome back to part two of the podcast, um, and we're going to get straight into our second topic of the day, um, which is pressures on managers in today's game. Um, and I will let you kiss one off, Rich. Yeah. So this is I know we've possibly touched on, this, especially like last week with uh, Mourinho, what we were saying about him. Um, but I think this is something that's always always been there in football um so doing doing a bit of research on this there's a couple of things i'll start off so if you look at the uh the odds uh for the next manager next premier league manager to either get sacked or to leave his position so the four favorites are Mourinho, mark hughes jukanovic at fulham and rafa benitez now, yeah. to, to, oh. me, to, to me, those four, and I, I can't honestly say that I could see that this early into the season that any any Premier League manager would be in a position where they would either resign or whether they would get, but they would get sacked. 
I think with Mourinho, so Mourinho's favourite at the moment to be the next manager to leave. And I know there's been an awful lot of press about it. We spoke about it last week and everything that's going on around him. And for me, like we touched on last week, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So I'm not, I'm not hugely convinced that it's that it's his fault. I think there's a, not think it's a bit not one hundred percent his fault at all. Yeah, absolutely. But, but then if you go on, so if you look at Mark Hughes, for example, so Mark Hughes came in towards the back end of last season at Saints. They they were they were struggling. There was there was real risk that they could get relegated. Um, something that I just wanted to touch on later on in this topic is is sort of to ask you the question whether you think that changing a manager that late in the day whether it's a good thing or a bad thing so from from the perspective of of, of Southampton they bought Hughes in he he saved them from the drop whether they would have gone down with the old manager or not we'll never know but I can't it's the same with with Mark Hughes I'm, I'm not sure I can understand how he's the second favorite manager to lose his job I'm not sure what the expectations are for this team and Jukanovic I could say the same thing he's brought Fulham up going to the, from the championship to the Premier League is a huge step big deal now isn't it yeah. so I know someone's got to be favourite and there's got to be some sort of order to this the, the only one I could possibly understand is Rafa Benitez and I think that's purely from a fact that I think he's probably had enough do you think he's more likely to walk than get sacked yeah I do because of the money yeah I do because I think that the, the the fans are sort of frustrated enough with, with, with Mike Ashley and what's going on at the club at the moment if they were to sack Benitez who I don't know. I, I guess he, is he their only shining light at the moment? Yeah. Do you I mean, think? He, do you think if you're a Newcastle fan, do you th- if Rafa walks, do you blame Rafa at all, or do you think well no, he's think done? Do. He's I, done I, what I, he yeah, can do. How, his hands are almost tied, but this is yeah. this is kind of. I think this is this is the the point that 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 we, we're going to discuss because how. It, what are the expectations of, of the Newcastle fans and the Newcastle board? Because realistically, if they're not if they're not putting money to improve the team, and they've got an okay squad, but but if we're being honest, I'm not sure it's a, a Premier League squad. What is their expectation? So how can he be under pressure? Because he's not he's not a miracle worker. Right? I, if, I you think, put, yeah. if you put Pep Guardiola in charge of that team. Are they going to be much better? I wouldn't have thought I'm, so. I'm not. I'm but not sure. Not convinced. It's kind of. I, I, I'm not. I don't understand the pressure that can be on managers that quickly. I. I but, just. Um, yeah. I just I, don't. I just. 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 Uh, sorry. Yeah. Just. But just uh, to put something. Up. So, are you surprised that that Mourinho is the eighth longest serving manager in the Premier League? That's crazy, isn't it? When you think about I, it. Like, when I read that, I couldn't believe it. Eddie Howe is the number one in the yeah five, the... five and a half years since since Arsene Wenger left. But but since just to give you another stat, so since the Premier League started, on average eight teams have made a managerial change each season. So whether that's a sacking, uh, a manager resigning, or like Alex Ferguson retiring, but eight eight teams a year since the Premier League yeah. started have, have changed their manager. So, I think there's one season. I think it was um, it was when Pochettino went to Spurs that 
Fias Boas was sacked at Spurs. Tim Sherwood took over. He was sacked. Pochettino left Saints and went to Spurs. All in the space of about five months, I think. I just, it's just, it's a, it just seems a bit too much for me at the moment. I think it's gonna. I think it would harm the team as well. I think having that having that many managers, I think it can't do anything for the the players themselves. But um, but, but so, I think that's the other side of the argument, Chris. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll go back. So if you take Southampton as an example, last year, do, do you think they would have stayed up if was it Pellegrino? Yeah, Pellegrino. If he had stayed, um, and Mark Hughes hadn't have come in. Do you think they would have stayed up? Uh, I think that they probably would have stayed up. Yeah, so do I. I don't, I, think I don't think, change, I don't think changing it would have changed anything. I think they would have been safe. I don't, but No, because the games, in my view, the games they played, I, I think it was the Swansea away Swansea, when they won yeah. 1-0. I, I think they probably would have won that if Hughes wasn't in charge at all. I know they got to the semi-final of the FA Cup um, and they beat Wigan when, when Mark Hughes first took over, but I kind of think that's not relevant to the no, no. to the discussion because it was about them being safe in the Premier League and keeping Mark Hughes, and I've got nothing against Mark Hughes, but keeping him in charge, almost, to me, they've brought him in to save them from relegation, which he's done. Whether they would have done it without him, you, you'll never know. But what is the expectation for this year? And he's already under pressure because they're struggling. But if you're a Saints fan, what what is it... I guess that's the question. What is it you're expecting him to do this season? What would be a good finish for Saints? Yeah. Which means Hughes isn't under pressure. So... Just look at you. You obviously mentioned then about managerial sackings. This season, we've seen ten managers sacked in the um, four leagues. Two of which were sacked after the first weekend. So Gary Johnson lost his job at Cheltenham two games into the season, which to, I I just cannot understand for the life of me why you would sack a manager after two games whether I didn't, I didn't look into it too, they lost 10 at the end of last season I'm not sure but why go through the whole of pre-season with a manager that you're not 100% sure about to then sack him two games into the season it's just, it's yeah, just crazy so, I, so the, I can understand the <laughs> I can understand the, for example, if you have a change in ownership of the club, for example. So, if if someone comes <coughs> along and buys the club and they've got, a different I understand that because they'd have diff- they might have different aspirations. Got, to yeah, what they've they, got yeah, a different yeah, vision that's fine. Of, of maybe how they want the club to play or in what direction they want the club to go, and if the manager doesn't sort of share that vision, I can I can completely understand that, but. I, I, I don't I don't understand how you can be under pressure after a couple of games. So there must be something more to it where there's been a more under lot, yeah. They've they've, they've <clears> lost <throat> the dressing room or whatever it is. But how how a manager is sacked within almost like the first six to eight weeks of the season, I, I don't understand. So it's almost it's almost like you have three four losses in a row, and 
your job isn't safe. That, to me, that's I don't think that would happen in any other job, would it? Where you say you have a bad day at work, you ain't going to go home and think, oh, God, am, am I going to be sat in the morning? It's it's just... I, I just don't understand... Do you, do you think managers themselves say they've say you're a manager, you lose three games in a row? Do you think you go home and think, "Oh, crikey, could could lose my job here"? Yeah, probably, but that that's why I don't. That, that's why the whole the dreaded vote of confidence I don't think means anything anymore. No. I think maybe five to ten years ago, maybe it did when when managers had. Uh, like really good relationships with with the chairman and with with the owners and things like that, but a vote of confidence doesn't really mean anything anymore. But I and I think you'd be I think you'd be a bit naive as a manager to um to to think that after a run of bad results that that your job's not at risk. But the it, I, I guess I guess what it all comes back round to is. The, the financial pressures yeah yeah but the way i kind of look at it to to, to break it down in its simplest terms and i have to use the premier league as a, as a as a sort of reference for my point but every year there's going to be three teams that go down regardless every year there is always going to be three teams that go down and i know there's a lot of pressure with with, with, with the finances that the TV money brings in and the, the sort of crowds and the attendance and the, the sort of global sponsorship and the com- commercial side of it that you get from being in the Premier League. But that almost puts... Every, that probably puts 75% of the managers in the Premier League under pressure before it's even started. Because you could realistically say that there's there's... I don't know half a dozen teams that you almost know aren't going to get relegated, but then surely everybody else is under pressure. It's crazy to think like to think it like that. It's just it to me. You you get right. So we'll take Fulham for an example. You you get the Fulham job. You get them up, but then the thought. You must be thinking, well, why, why would they even think of sacking me? I've got them up. I've got them to this place. Why? You know, I've had a run. I've had a few bad games, but what did they expect? What? What? You know. So I think yeah, this is all down to expectate when when they well, obviously when you take over a club, you must have that meeting with the directors and with the board. And they must be setting out clear goals as to what they expect. So, yeah, absolutely. But so Jukanovic is six to one to, to be the to be the next manager to go. So that's second favourite. Yeah. And I, I know I tipped Fulham to go down um, on the very first podcast. But for, for me, Fulham's objective has got to be to stay in the Premier League. And if you look at how they've played at the moment, yeah, they haven't. They've been a bit inconsistent. They didn't, you can you can almost see where where they where they need to improve, maybe where they need to strengthen as a squad and, and what they need to do. But I wouldn't say at the moment, and I'd be really surprised if anyone involved in football would say, "Yeah, Fulham are going down." Already at this stage of the yeah, season, yeah. because 
there, there are teams that have been worse than them so far this season. If you look at Huddersfield, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any speculation or any talk about like Wagner being under, under pressure. And the fans love him. And Huddersfield, to, to be honest, in my opinion, have probably been the poorest side in the league so far this season. Yeah, but again, but, I think that's expectation but, from fans. I, I think the fans are not expected. Like last season, they stayed up. They probably seen that as you know one of the biggest achievements that the clubs had. So, but is it fan pressure then? Because well, maybe, yeah. I, I think the people at the top of football clubs are they are they not? I'm not sure what the word is, but are they not aware enough about the realities of football to realise that after five or six games isn't enough of a barometer to then judge someone to say you lose your job by it? Maybe teams have gone too commercial, commercially yeah. driven rather than what football's about. But it's like, so an example that, that I thought about... Um, on the train over over to France today, that the, the manager that came to mind was Pellegrini at West Ham, and again we've spoken about this on previous previous episodes. But West Ham have had a bit of an indifferent start. But do you is, is there such a strong feeling that Pellegrini will do something that David Moyes wouldn't have done? Now, I, I don't know the exact uh, circumstances in how Moyes left West Ham. I think. I think he was on a temporary contract and it didn't get renewed. I think that's right. I think that's what it is, yeah. From, from what was coming over last season. And I know they've bought a lot of players, but would would Sullivan and Gould not have invested in Moyes had stayed? I don't I don't know the full ins and outs, but I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that he's going to do something that David Moyes wouldn't have done. And maybe David Moyes didn't want to stay. But I'd use that as an example as to say, well, and Pelham pressure already because he spent all this money. I think, yeah. I think... West Ham have had, an in, have had an indifferent start. So where does that pressure come from? I think, I think, I think when, when you break it down and segment it, you've got, as a manager, you've got pressure from the club itself, so the directors, the board, you've got pressure from fans, You've got pressure from your own players. So, you know, and just imagine the board of directors, the fans and the players all at the same time. You know, it is going to be a lot for a manager to actually deal with. Um, I think it's panic. I think it's panic. But So, so I mean, you'll be a lot better placed than I would to answer this. But why was... um, Antonio Conte at Chelsea. Why did he get sacked? I feel he got he'd, sacked he'd, because he he he'd fallen out with players. I think. But he'd won the league. He'd won yeah. the FA Cup. So is it is it player power? I would probably say yes. I'd say one. I'd say once. If you if you if you lose one or two crucial players in that dressing room and they, and they are the the main, like the, I don't know, the the two players that are most liked within the team. So you're talking then, about like Hazard and Mourinho when they fell out. Exactly. That's exactly why Mourinho was sat. Because one, he he fell out with key players, 
which then made them not perform as well as they could. And then Everly, Chelsea kept losing games, and then he lost his job. So, I, I, which, which I which I think is which I think is a lot different to, to having pressure on you for for results. So I, I could probably maybe understand that a bit more. So that that may explain why Mourinho's top of the list for the first manager to go. It's like it's like just said uh, Mourinho was popular. You know, it's exactly happened. same. Well, yeah, exactly. He's done it again. He's basically done it again. He's he's fallen out with probably at the moment Manchester United's most liked player, and you know he's he's done it again. So I you know, but it it it's something that really frustrates me. I I remember maybe a month or so ago when when Spurs lost to Watford and then they lost to Liverpool. And apparently Pochettino was under pressure. Poch and Hashtag Poch I've never said well, you some stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But to me, that, that's... And I'm not I'm not for a moment denying that football fans can't have their opinion. Because, no. to be honest, Chris, that, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing on this podcast. We're right now. Yeah, right this second. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone's entitled to their opinion and that that's what drives the the sort of conversations that are had between football fans but to me personally for someone to say that Pochettino's under pressure after two two defeats where yeah admittedly Spurs didn't play well but is anyone going to go a whole season undefeated again probably (laughs) well I suppose Chelsea and Liverpool are yeah, all three are undefeated because so that, that, that may come back to bite me. But for, for me, it's all around. I think the key thing is the expectation. We well, think because... with Arsenal, with Arsenal, how long did they keep? They kept Wenger on for what, five, six years after the fans started getting frustrated with him. Mm. So they didn't, they didn't cave in to fan pressures. But then you got to think about it from a, a board level. If you sack someone. You've got to pay out their contract. So, a lot, a lot yeah. of these managers, they aren't stupid. They ask for long contracts with money because they know, like Mourinho, he's probably, I think he's on like three hundred grand a week, isn't he? Man United. I think I read that if he was sacked, it would it'd be something in the region of like twenty five million. That's or something ridiculous. Crazy. To, so do you to think if he gets sacked, does, do you think he mildly even cares? He, no, he, at the end of the day, not. he's going to get 25 mil. He's, yeah, probably not, but I don't know where he would go, to be honest. when I know, we again, we spoke about him last week, but he almost went from this 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 manager that was untouchable, like the best manager in the world, to if, if he got sacked by United, that would be his second or third sacking, which I, I'm not sure where he would go after that. But I, I, just, I just want to bring it back, and I don't... I don't but, but to me, I'll, I'm going to say, talk about Southampton. I've got a lot of family that, is, that are Saints fans. I've got a lot of friends that are Saints fans. But and, and, I, and I feel in this sort of discussion, they're a really good example. So if Mark Hughes was to be sacked, for example, or he was to leave, who out there that's available that would come in is going to do something that he wouldn't do? Which I think kind of takes you back to the Pellegrini more. To be honest, like it, so you said if he was sacked right this minute. Let, let, let's just say Hughes was sacked because because of results. 
and because of pressure from the fans and pressure from the ball, the Saints weren't performing. The results but weren't the... where the club felt they should be, and, and he was sacked. And they bring someone else in. He's got the same group. He's got the same players. So what's... He's got the same players. Yeah. The players that are in the same form, there may be a bit of a slight uplift because it's a new manager and everyone's behind them, etc., etc. But that's assuming that all the players get on with the new manager. So that that's that, if you're that's my question. How to you. I, I see I, it, I don't think anyone would. I don't know if there'd be any no. different to what's happening. At so the moment. how I see it is, if you are going to sack a manager, if you feel that is right. You should do it in, Jan- in at the start of January, where that manager can then come in, reshuffle the players if he has to, buy a few players, his players he wants in, then you get an accurate reading in that last six months of the season of how he's actually done with his but, team, but, with his players. But any any analysis you read, any any sorts of stats will tell you. That, that managers, and I think it was, I think a lot of it was said around Klopp that managers need, I think it's three or four transfer windows to, to get the perfect build, team to, to build their team because you are inheriting someone else's squad. Whichever way you look at it, you're inheriting someone else's squad. That's a bit like um, David Moyes, wasn't it, when he took over at United? He was inheriting yeah, Alex. You're in, you, yeah, but you're inheriting a squad that's pretty good. Yeah, but when Ferguson left, I wouldn't say Man United had their best team ever, that he had. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, there's no way that was the best team they've ever had. And, and to be honest with you, I think, if anything, they've got progressively worse. I think maybe apart from Pogba, and some people would probably say Sanchez, I'm not, or well, Lukaku, I'm not sure of what, World class, like Man United level players, they've actually bought. No. But maybe there's something to be said that 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 you can only change your manager in the off season. What low players? Well, yeah, but good idea. But but but, yeah, but I guess that would never happen because then clubs lose the 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 get out of jail option, don't they, of changing their manager three or four games before the end of the season, and. having a bit of an uplift to, to, um, to save the club from relegation. Imagine being a Leeds fan having to name all your managers in the last 10 years. <laughs> oh, that, that's, yeah, that's, that's a whole case study. Mate, that's, that's going to be the teaser for next week. <laughs> yeah. Name all of Leeds' managers in the last 10 years. There are 25 well, I, in I, total. I couldn't name all their managers in the last 10 but months. Just on a last note on this, Rich... Yeah. I've played football manager. I know what it's like. I get stressed out of that. <laughs> I don't know how you sleep at night. Is that why you're up so early to watch the A-League? Got to scout them players, team. mate. You keep closing the game, saving it, closing it, and playing the same game again until you win. Behave. I'd never do that. <laughs> My brother used to do that all the time. No, there's no fun in that. If you lose, you he lose, isn't it? He's but... every trophy going. I was about to say, yeah. Only took him. Only took him about ten attempts to win all the trophies. But... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's. I think we'll close that topic. But that's yeah. one that I think will go on and on. But that 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 is a topic that I'd be really the interested because I know that the 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 comments that we get in from some of the listeners, uh, they're all for. They're all supporters of different teams, so everyone would have a different view on it. So it would. Um, 
I'll, uh, I'll in, I would encourage people to uh, to send us your messages on that one. The uh, the culture isn't going to change overnight, is it? Of sacking managers, so no, absolutely. And it will go on and on and on for a long to time. Up, to sum it up, the way football's going and the way very very rich people are sort of uh, just buying up Premier League clubs is not going to get any better because right. it's a business needs to make money and it won't make money if it's not competing at the highest level okay so moving on to predictions this week we had no predictions last week because the international break uh but rich had a very special guest this week <laughs> I, I don't think he wants to lose this week do you rich no it seemed like a good idea at the time and uh just to add that bit of pressure so uh jody does my super six prediction sometimes and <laughs> she's pretty good uh, you'll know Chris because she's beaten you in the past. Uh, no comment. Again, that, so, that's going to be wiped uh, from the, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how she gets on. We'll see. You're going to be sweating. Come Saturday, you're going to be sweating. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm fully behind her. I fully support her. If she uh, yeah. if she wins, we'll put it down to uh, her luck. We'll see. Okay, so the teaser. Yes. So, I'm probably really stupid and not... Can I say one team and then if I get it wrong, I get it wrong and then I've lost, but... Well, yeah, so you've got, so you got two to get. Well, I'm pretty so... sure one of them is Fulham. Right, okay. Is that your final answer? We need to commit to an answer. Yeah, I'm committing to Fulham as one. Right, okay. And I'm just torn between about three or four different teams, so I don't really know. One of them is Watford. I've got Watford Palace. Uh, and uh, there was another one, Watford Palace. And oh no, it's gone from my head now. That's not good because it's probably that team. Because <laughs> I don't, I can't remember the attendance at those. T- I think they're around about high thirties. I don't know. I don't think it's Cardiff or Huddersfield. I think they've got pretty newish sort of grounds. Uh, I'm going to go with Fulham and Palace. I'm going to put you out of your misery. Uh, neither, neither are right. I'm, I'm quite surprised you didn't get this. Uh, like I say, because it started off with just the... Um, with the, with the lowest attendance, Bournemouth. So the Vitality Stadium has a capacity of just over 11,000. Why did I not think of that? I've literally got boxes. So, so that, would have been, that would have been the answer to the original teaser. I wish I'd stayed with just the one. Yeah, sure. I, thought, I thought you would have got Bournemouth pretty easily. But the second is uh, Watford, Vicarage Road. Oh, well, I, just, I, said, just, I didn't I couldn't remember Watford. So. Just under 20 and a half. Whichever way you spin it, Chris, you got it wrong. So, uh, I'm going to edit it in so I get it right and I'll just impersonate <laughs> your voice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, yeah, well, that's a shame. Well, I'm, still, well, I'm still the only person to get one right. You wait, next week, you, you're not even, don't even think you're ever going to get one right again. <laughs> Um, so uh, next week's topic, uh, I believe we are. Are we doing ticket prices next week? Yeah, so we're going to take a look at uh, ticket prices uh, to go and watch the football. I guess it ties in 
a little bit of what we were speaking about in part one today about our experiences of uh, live action football. Yeah, but I think that's um, another debate where there will be, be split opinions. So we also invite uh, opinions from listeners on that topic as well, ready for next week. Okay, so, well, that is pretty much the end of the podcast. Um, so, um, yeah, that w- it will be going up uh, tonight and uh, will be tweeted out tomorrow, put on Facebook. If you want to follow us on Facebook, um, just go on Facebook and search for you from the sideline. Twitter is VFTSL. Uh, podcast on Twitter and Instagram is View from the Sideline Pod. So go like us, tweet us, send us any comments, any feedback on the podcast. And uh, Rich I've, just, is, I've, just, I've, just, I've, I've just got two things to finish off, Chris, before we go. Go on, um, If that's all right. Yeah. So the first, uh, the first one is about, uh, so listeners may have seen it on our social media, about oh, yeah. the fantasy football, the FA Cup fantasy football that we're launching. Um, so uh, there'll be some more details coming out uh, on that over the next couple of weeks. But uh, t- to get in early, if anyone's interested, if they just drop us an email at viewfromthesideline at hotmail.com just to register uh, your interest and then we'll get all the details you need sent out to you uh, so you can pick the teams and uh, we'll be, we can send you out a copy of the rules, etc. We'll be putting them on social media, like I say, over the next couple of weeks. Um I believe we've got prizes for that one, Chris. Is that right? We do, yes. We do. We won't reveal them at the moment. Um, but yeah, so that's something something that we're, we're going to run. So our first, uh, we'll take predictions out. Uh, that's our first sort of listener competition that uh, we're going to be running. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention, it's not, uh, specifically related to the podcast, but I just want to give a shout out um, to uh, an organisation that uh, a few people that are involved in it, um, and it's not football related, and it's probably uh, only going to be more relevant to our listeners, uh, probably in the Southampton area or in the office we work at. Do you know where this is going, Chris? Kind of. Okay. So, so you approve of it then? But I just, I just wanted to give a shout out to the um, B and Q Choir, which um, is a group of people who have formed a choir in our workplace. And I'm not necessarily um, very musically minded, but I have heard these guys, and they are pretty amazing, to be honest. So I just wanted to give give a shout out to them. Um, because they, there's a few people in the choir that have helped us with the podcast and they've given us support along the way. So um, I just thought it was right to um, to share the love a bit, just to give them a shout out. So if there's anyone who is interested in getting involved in a choir, doesn't matter what level of singing you are, um, again, probably more relevant to the people in the Southampton area. But on the 7th of November, they are offering a free taster session for anyone that's interested in joining. So uh, you can get full details through us. So if you're interested, drop us a line and we can point you in the direction of the right people. Or if you know of the choir, uh, give it a think if you want to join and go. Thank you. That's it, Chris. Okay, well, uh, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, We will see you next week. So it's goodbye from me. Yeah, and goodbye for me. Speak to you next week.